0: Good morning, amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. This is Ben. Can you say hi to my friend Ben? Today's National Make-A-Worship-Leader-With-A-Black-Shirt Smile Day. So if you see Ben, make sure you say hi to him. He's got to leave here smiling today. That's our goal, all right? There we go. All right, well, good morning. Hey, I want you to imagine with me just a second. Can you imagine that you woke up one morning and you had no idea who you were. All right, not like amnesia, right? Like, Which apparently like, amnesia in the movies is not how amnesia works. I'm learning, all right? But, okay, imagine that you weren't who you thought you were. Your whole life, you thought you were somebody, and then one day you learned you're not actually who you thought you were. This actually happened to some folks in Florida had to be Florida, right? These two women, they were born in like the 70s in Florida on the same day in the same hospital, like east of the middle of nowhere, Florida, okay? And they're born in this hospital. Here's what happened, all right? There's two families, right? One family, they're double income, no kids, They were struggling to have kids, so in the meantime, they just started living it up in Florida. They got a boat, they were partying with their friends, and then they have a kid, okay? Another family has like six or eight kids, all right? And they were not a super fun, joyful family, right? Like they were like pretty straight-laced, they were kind of uptight, not a lot of joy and laughter, quite religious. Okay, these two families both have daughters on the same day, and the hospital accidentally switched them okay? Now, if you're a new parent, I, I don't, I don't want to speak for you. That was totally my fear, right? Like when we had our first, we had Jet, he like disappeared for a while and then came back and I was like, hmm, I don't know you. You don't know me. How do I know you know that's my kid? When you get to like kid three, you're like, yeah, I will take it, but like, that's fine. That's cool. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll love this child, whoever it is, right? But can you imagine, it's kind of like every like, first new parent's like nightmare, right? Like, is this really my kid? For these two Florida families, it was a reality. And I know what you're thinking, all you nurses and doctors out there. Like, that doesn't happen. What well, happened in Florida? Okay, it was a real thing. Now, just imagine with me for a second. Just imagine. You, this really happened. So this girl, who was supposed to be born in, like, double income, no kids, we got a boat, right? She instead is born into religious, six other kids, straight-laced family, and she never fit in. Like, I think she had blonde hair. They all had brown hair. She was the life of the party. They're like, calm down. Like, you always had to have that much energy. Jeez. Like, that's probably sinful, right? And then meanwhile, like, these fam- this other family, they're, like, living it up. They're going to the beach, and they oh, this boring kid, right? And like this her whole life, the girl that was stuck in the wrong family is like, I don't feel like I belong. Why don't I fit in? What's really happening? And so can you imagine her surprise when one day she found out, hey, the reason you feel like you don't belong is because you don't. Now, take this a little bit further, okay? This family over here, double income, no kids for a long time, like into their 40s, right? They got money. All right, this family over here—I can imagine. I don't know. They're like on the envelope system with no money still, you know. Somehow, all right, and there's like six kids, right? I bet that this girl—not only did she learn she's not annoying and all these things for her life, she's actually the life of the party, just stuck in the wrong situation. There's money. She's got an inheritance. That's great news. Now, here's a reality, right? While she's stuck with, like, bump-on-a-log family, was it true? Was it true that she really was a wealthy heiress of a fun-loving Florida family? Was it true? Yes. Was she able to experience any of that goodness? No. Because she didn't know. My concern this morning, and the reason that we're starting to launch into the book of Galatians, is because I think the same thing, but on a far greater and serious scale, has happened to the church. There is a doctrine, a beautiful doctrine, that for for many years, if you read anybody in church history, it was the center, it was the pulse, it was the heartbeat of the church. But in recent years, it has been turned down almost on silence. And it's this doctrine called union with Christ. Union with Christ. And for many of us, we aren't living into the benefits and the reality that are ours because we just don't know. And there's more at stake than a large inheritance from a middle-income, fun-loving Florida family. We are united to Jesus with his energy, with his lifeblood flowing through us, and we don't know. And so many of us in our Christian lives experience joylessness. We can be stuck. We can be frustrated. We can look back at the past and be, oh, I remember when I used to be, we, have you heard this phrase before? I used to be on fire for Jesus. Nowadays, I'm just trying to be faithful, right? That sounds good, right? It's churchy, but it's, it, it could be like coded language for I'm just tired. I'm going to keep my expectations low because I've been disappointed in my spiritual life. So I'm just going to keep my expectations low, keep my head down, and just trust Jesus till I get to heaven, All right, life's hard right now. It's kind of a jumbled mess, and then I get to go to heaven, and that's just what it means to be a Christian. What if, like our Florida friends, something else was true about us and we just didn't know? That's union with Christ. And that's what the book of Galatians is all about. It's all about union with Jesus. It's all about, I'm not a farmer. But I was a farmer for a day, actually. I uh, helped uh, uh, like a company plant mums. So this is my this is. If if there's any farmers out there that want to correct this, I'm happy to receive correction. Did you know that you can graft? the branch of another tree to a different tree. Someone actually, so uh, Charlie, who knows a lot about trees, in the first service told me that it's happening in our backyard somewhere, that there's a walnut tree that, he said a squirrel did it. Again, he could tell me anything. I'm like, whoa, nature's crazy. Uh, But like it's grafted to a totally different tree and it's growing out of that tree. So what does that mean? The the lifeblood, the nutrients from the tree is flowing into and through that branch. It is nourishing and providing sustenance for that branch because it is grafted in. That's the Christian life. We call that union with Christ. We have been so connected to and united to Jesus that his life flows and nourishes us. So instead of feeling stuck, instead of feeling frustrated, instead of like, man, where am I going? We have access to and communion with the Godhead. And a lot of us don't live into that reality because we just don't know. Nourishing. Would you describe your relationship with God as nourishing, life-giving, It provides sustenance. It fills you. Or is your relationship with God exhausting? Life-taking? Is God always just checking in every once in a while to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? You get home from a long day's worth of work. You get a long day at work. You're tired. You really just want to hang out. Uh, you, you know, season three of Succession is coming out. You're super excited. You sit down and then you're like, oh, man, I really should read my Bible. but I really want to know what's going on with Kendall Roy. Okay, here we go. And then you just kind of turn that down. And then you feel guilty. Like, oh, man. really should have done that Bible reading. I bet God's going to be harder to get in touch with next time. Is your Christian life life life-giving or is it life-taking? Now, Paul cares about this very much. Because what happened was the church in Galatia was setting off on their life with Jesus and they got stuck. And they, they got stuck and some spiritual leaders from outside come to them and say, hey, we've got the solution. We know how to get you unstuck. And the, in the, the case of the church in, in Galatia, the medicine was more harmful than the sickness. The medicine was more harmful than the sickness. So the problem in Galatia is that these people were, really what was happening is they were Christians gone wild. And some folks came in and said, hey, here's what you got to do. You got to keep all these rules. All right. You got to keep all these rules called Torah. That's how you honor God. And Paul writes back and says, whoa, 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 time out. The medicine you're offering is worse than their sickness. Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to kind of unpack, we're going to try to just live into this message through the book of Galatians, but we've got to do something before we jump into it. We've got to recognize there's a gap between our lives and the Galatians, okay? Now, I don't, I, I don't know you, but I'm going to wager a bet about your life. You are not a Galatians, I am not a Galatians. How do I know that? Scholars have no idea who the Galatians are, okay? So I'm pretty sure it's not you and it's not me. There's a little bit of a gap between us. So to understand, before we can even really jump into the book of Galatians, we got to talk about three people. There's three, there's three figures who are going to help us jump into the book of Galatians, okay? Mark Twain, the 90s adult alternative band R.E.M., and TV in the 70s. We got to talk about these three things before we can get to Galatians, okay? Well, let's talk about, let's start with Mark Twain. Uh, Mark Twain once famously said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often does rhyme. History doesn't repeat itself, but it often does rhyme. What does he mean? Well, World War I and World War II were similar, but it, weren't, it wasn't just like the same exact thing. There were similar world global circumstances happening, but there were different things going on. That's what it's like with Galatians, all right? Most of us are not struggling with what the Galatians were struggling with, okay? For many of you, if you're living a life where you're like, man, I have so much anger. All this anger is bubbling up. I just want to scream and cuss at my kids and throw a weed whacker across my yard. I'm so furious, right? And then if I came to you and said, hey, I have a solution for your anger. Are you ready? Yes. I just want to get rid of my anger. What should I do? Uh, You need to keep kosher. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like don't eat pork. Uh, Like you can't do anything on Saturday and you need to like uh, don't eat with Gentiles. Wash your hands before you eat. What? Yeah, yeah. That will help you deal with anger. What? Like none none of us are struggling necessarily with the same struggles that the Galatians were struggling with. This is a church gone wild. And think about it. We, we are really hard on these people. Okay, they didn't live in the same space we do. All right, they didn't have a million podcasts that they could go to of like, man, what does this teacher say about this passage? Oh, okay, let's watch this teacher on YouTube. They didn't have any of that. They were a pioneer Christians, right? So Paul comes to them and says, you're saved by grace. And they're like, awesome. And they started living in that freedom. Well, what happened? They quickly started abusing that freedom. We can be very hard on these people. But like, they didn't know. They're pioneering, right? And so as these people are living in the freedom of this grace, this group of Christians from Jerusalem comes, and they say, guys, folks, 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 folks. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't be violent towards your neighbors. You can't have sex with strangers. You need to start keeping Torah. And they go, oh, okay, that makes sense. But Paul said we're saved by grace. Yeah, yeah, but Paul, Paul we don't know Paul. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Trust us. Okay, we're from Jerusalem. All right, HQ, all right? You got to keep Torah. Oh, okay. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. So Paul, we don't listen to Paul. Don't listen to Paul. Bad news bears. Okay, got it. We're not struggling with that. History doesn't repeat itself. We're not doing that. But it rhymes. For many of us when we run into walls in our Christian life, we look to things to fix it. It's very easy to be like, "Oh, my identity is in Jesus. I'm a new creation. I'm united with Jesus. I'm like a branch, he's like a tree." Oh, I love that on Sunday. And then on Tuesday, you're in the sales room and you are a loan officer at a bank and you're working really hard to hit your goals and you're making like cold calls and you're hustling and you're going out and you're just like shaking hands, handing out business cards. You're working really hard and then they post the sales numbers in the break room and you walk in there and you look, okay, that lady I share a desk with, yeah, she's crushing it. Okay, that guy over there, yeah, he's doing well. I didn't make my goals. Okay, union with Jesus. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a branch. He's okay, good. If this message doesn't impact us on Tuesday morning, it's no good. When our kids are, your young kids are out of control, and you're afraid, like, oh, man, people are going to totally judge me. Like, my kids aren't well, but their kids are well-behaved. Kids, their kids are well-behaved. You've got to be well-behaved. Guys, do you know what people are going to think about me if you're not well-behaved? And then one of your kids, they're playing at a museum, and he gives another kid a black eye. You're like, great, people are going to think I'm a terrible parent. And so then what do you do? Someone's like, Hey. How are, how, how are you doing? And we lie, right? We're great. Oh, we're great, right? We may, not be doing, we may not be copying the Galatians, but we're looking to things for security and for comfort. When following Jesus is hard, we look to things for our love, acceptance, worth, and security, just like they were doing that with Torah. We do the same thing. It, it's different, but we've got to recognize that difference. We have this, The struggle, the heart of the struggle is the same. How do I live a life of faith When what I'm saying is true, that I'm loved and accepted by God, what Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the spirit of God lives in me, and then life is coming at me, and it doesn't feel true. How do I live by faith in those moments? Oftentimes we're tempted to go to other things just like they were. Mark Twain helps us understand the book of Galatians. Nineties adult alternative band, R.E.M., now, I know there are probably not a ton of R.E.M. fans in the room. I'm okay with that, okay? I love R.E.M. I had brothers who were older than me, so R.E.M. is like a little bit like pre-my time, but I would listen to R.E.M., and I just like felt cooler than my peers because I knew like what the older kids were listening to. And so like, I've always loved R.E.M. They, they, so many, like my favorite R.E.M. song the band Radiohead, the lead singer, Tom York, his favorite R.E.M. song is my favorite R.E.M. song, and so I feel like, man, I'm like totally in with R.E.M. If Tom York's favorite R.E.M. song is my favorite R.E.M. song, I'm in. Why do I tell you all that? Am I just trying to brag about R.E.M.? No, I'm trying to say, these are my people, okay? I love these people. I'm part of that subculture. I get it. We get it. We're on the same page, all right? But can I tell you something I learned recently? I completely misunderstood like the most popular REM lyric ever, okay? And you may not know REM, but you know this song, right? The song. Sorry, Luke. I gotta Luke is the king of singing and services. I'm, I'm I'm gonna try. Like, that's me in the corner. That's me in the spot. Light, losing my thank you. Oh, that just made my heart so happy. Alright? You may have heard that at High V. It plays it's like a High V classic, you know? <laughs> But they had a lot of other hits, okay? Trust me, it was a cool subculture, okay? I always thought that that song meant that there, Michael Stipe is in like a corner at a party and he's like, oh my goodness, there's no God. And like the New Testament, those aren't re- reliable documents. And like, oh man, what if like, what if there was no Moses? Oh, I don't know if I can believe all this stuff. This is terrible, right? It's actually not what that means. The phrase, losing my religion, is a popular old Southern like slang for getting angry, and think about it for a second, it totally makes sense, right? Like if you're on a long car ride with your kids, are we there yet? No, 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 we got like 20 minutes left. Are we there now? No, no, no. we got 20 minutes. How about now? Kids, if you don't quiet down, you are gonna make me lose my religion, right? (laughs) Isn't that great? The song isn't about some guy who's deconstructing his faith, it's about somebody getting angry, all right? Why did I misunderstand that? because we're separated by geography. I don't know southern slang. Southern slang is awesome, by the way. I just don't know any of that because I'm not from Athens, Georgia, the birthplace of Michael Stipe, all right? So I don't know that. Here's a wild thing, though. We live in the same time, but we're separated by geography and we don't understand each other. Paul is an old friend of mine, but he's not from the American Midwest. And don't worry, Midwesterners, he's also not from the Northeast, so he's not, he doesn't think he's better than you. And he's not from the West Coast, so he doesn't think he's cooler than you. He's not from America. We are separated by even more geography. We're separated by thousands of miles. So again, we don't have the same struggles that the church in Galatia had. Like nobody's trying to tempt you into keeping kosher to deal with your anger, to deal with lust, to deal with these desires you don't want to have. We're also separated by geography. Well, there can be misunderstandings here. There's one more complicated factor, and it's TV in the 70s. You know what I learned this week? This is true, okay? This is, And if, if you know more, you definitely know more about this than me, correct me, okay? Did you know, did you know that in the 1970s, let's say, you could turn on channel three and nothing would be on? Did you know that? Like, you have your TV and like you pull out the like the dial thing, right, and the cranks, and you, channel three, and it's just... Like that rainbow thing, right? Did you guys know that? I didn't know that. Like I had no idea. So I'm out to coffee with two friends and they're like in their 60s. And so they're like talking, like, oh yeah, you know, we're talking about this thing that, yeah, you know, that was back in the day at nine o'clock when nothing was on TV. And I was like, what? What do you mean nothing was on TV? Yeah, you just turn on the TV and it'd be like those light, those things. I was like, why? Well, they just didn't make anything. Why? Like, did they not like money? Did they not know that you could sell commercial? Like, people don't just watch, okay, we had an hour of TV, that's good for the day, and all right, let's retire to the den. Like, I grew up in the opposite problem. Like, pick a year, pick any year, 2016, right? And let's just say, pick a, a genre of entertainment, music. If you wanted to, just in the year 2016, listen to all the music that came out in 2016, you could start today and you'll die before you get there right? We just have infinite content. That was not the case in the 70s, right? They're like, all right, we're done with TV for the day. That was a good day, everybody. All right, we nailed it. See you tomorrow, right? I did not understand that world. Why? We're separated by time. I grew up in a different time, all right? Paul, we're separated by geography, but we're also separated by time. You ever hung out with your old uncle and they say things like, oh, please, please just keep that to yourself and definitely don't post that on Facebook, Paul is older than your old uncle. (laughs) Paul died thousands of years ago. And so, please, I'm not trying to put distance between us and the Bible, but we do the Bible a disservice when we just plop it open and we assume this speaks my language and my culture to my certain situation. We got to do a little bit of work, all right? Because not only that, Paul is a little tricky to understand. And it may be uncomfortable for some of us. Like, whoa, can he say that? That's not me saying that. It's Paul's contemporary, Peter. Here's what Peter says. He says, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with with the wisdom God gave him. So see, he's going to give a little critique, but he's being polite before he does that. see what he's doing? He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of those matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. All right. So we're not, we're separated by, we don't know the original situation of the Galatians, we're separated by geography, and we're separated by time. Why do I say all that to you? Because we're going to start in chapter two, okay? We're going to give the overview of the book of Galatians, and we're starting in chapter two. Because if we don't, What we're going to have, we're going to go down all these rabbit trails, and we're going to miss the filter through which Paul is saying what he's saying. Paul says some wild and even harsh things. He says jokes that I have to repeat, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to say them without like blushing, right? Paul says some pretty wild things in the book of Galatians, and it can just be coming at us from like, what's he saying? What's that mean? Why should we kick people out of church? Like what's happening? We got to get to the heart of his message. And Paul doesn't get to the heart of his message until chapter two, and the heart Of his message, the heart of Paul's message is he's trying; he's working really hard to confront lies that Christians believe. And the big lie sounds wild to us at first. The big lie sounds like, "Ooh, that doesn't sound like the Christianity I grew up in." The big lie that Paul is working to confront is that wild people need rules. Paul is working really hard to communicate to the church in Galatia that it is a lie to believe that wild people need rules. Time out for a second. I am not saying, I'll tell you what I am saying, but right now I'll tell you what I'm not saying. I am not saying society doesn't need laws, okay? So if you come to that four-way stop sign, you're like... I don't need rules and drive right through it and you hit me on my bicycle in your big old truck, like that's on you. I didn't tell you to blow through that stop sign, okay? I am not saying that laws are bad. Society doesn't need laws. I'm not saying teenagers don't need bedtime. I'm not saying that addicts don't need structure, What I am saying is that Paul was writing to a group of people who were trying to experience union with Jesus. They they had met Jesus. He was living in them, and they wanted to keep living in that reality. And someone showed up and says, you know how to do that? Rules. You know how to form Christ in you? Follow Torah you, know, you, you want to know how to experience more of Jesus? Check these boxes. See, some of us are like, man, yeah, like I believe in Jesus, but all this like discipleship stuff, Christian formation, that's like extra credit, right? Like I just believe in Jesus, and I am, I'm just waiting to go to heaven when I die. Paul is saying that discipleship isn't extra credit. It's not something for serious Christians to work on. What he's saying, discipleship, Christian formation, is growing in our awareness of just how deeply united to Jesus we are and how that needs to be our motivation and our fuel for how we navigate life. So faith, again, faith. The passage we're about to read, he says, The life I live, I live by faith. A life of faith is not I believe all the right things. So I go through life, and I just say the right things. So when my kids are wild, when I'm not reaching my sales goal, and I feel bad, what should I do? Just say true things to myself. Here's what I'll do. My identity is in Jesus. I'm united to Jesus. This doesn't hurt. I'm fine. That is not being alive. Dallas Willard, spiritual guru number one. Dallas Willard once famously said that life consists in our ability to gather nutrients from our surroundings life consists in our ability to gather nutrients from our surroundings so like a plant you put a plant in the ground and its root systems go down and it gathers nutrients its leaves gather energy from the sun as christians we need to being alive means we gather energy from our surroundings what are we gathering energy from not our ability to keep the rules that's not being alive. We're gathering energy because we have been grafted in to Jesus. And his life flows in and through us. If you believe in Jesus, the truest thing about you is Galatians 2.20. This was the heartbeat of Paul's message. I have been crucified with Christ. I'm not alive anymore. Jesus lives In me. That's true whether we feel it or not. And you all sang that just a few minutes ago. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Many of us do not live in the benefits and the nourishment that that provides. Because when life comes at us, we feel like that's God's true opinion coming at us. If God really liked me, I wouldn't be sick. If God really liked me, my kids would obey. If God really liked me, I would have passed the MCAT. If God really liked me, if God really liked me, if God really liked me... And Paul's saying, wait, 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 what if we have this backwards? What if there's a different message and we just aren't living in the reality of it because we don't know? That's the heartbeat of Galatians. The heartbeat of Galatians is union with Jesus. And over the next several weeks, we're going to work really hard to turn that speaker up. We're going to work really hard so that in our bones, we feel the reality of what Scripture says about us. That we have been united to Jesus. Before we get to Galatians, see, we've got to tee it up carefully. Paul is going to the heartbeat of the message it's very easy for us to lose it because he's again talking to these Galatians who have a struggle that we don't have so he's going to talk a lot about like hey if I turned my back on the law and then I obey the law am I a transgressor because I rebuilt what I destroyed and like most of us know to go "Mm, that's true that's true yeah yeah I get it I get it that's right I don't know what that means right all right, so we're going to talk about that, but let me just give you some fence posts of what Paul's talking about before we read Paul. He's talking about both the passive and the active ways that union with Christ impacts our life. Passive. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm not alive. He's alive. That's passive. All right, we don't do anything, we trust, and He's alive through us. Active. The life I, I, the life I, so Jesus lives in me, but the life I, I, Paul, live, I live by faith. That's active. So he's talking about both passive and active, and he's trying to give us a map for how to live by faith into this new deep reality of union with Jesus. And what's at stake if we miss it? What's at stake if we miss it? If we say, no, 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 yeah, union with Jesus is great. I trust Jesus, but to really change my heart. I need rules. I need to obey. I need to check these boxes. If we do that, we're saying Jesus died for nothing. We're saying, hey, he can, he was condemned under the law and the law condemned him. I'm crucified with him. I died with him. And, but then we're like, oh, wait, all that stuff. Can we get a do-over? Like, I just, I just want to, I want to try to try to do it. I want to keep it. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. He says this, you foolish Galatians. That's foolishness. He's saying, we, we're, that's not who we are. That's gone. It's like this. Think about the metaphor of sailing for a second. The Christian life is not about saying, okay, we're on this island where we are, and God is way over there on that island. And we have a sailboat to cross this huge ocean. And this sailboat, it's powerful. It's ready to go. It's beautiful. It's not made to stay in the dock. We got to go. And so we start sailing. That's what the Galatians did. They're like, woo-hoo. We're saved by grace. Let's go. Let's experience God. We're off. And then they ran into rough waters and wind, and they got spun around. And then a different boat comes up, these Judaizers from Jerusalem. They're like, hey, hey, what did Paul say? No, 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 no. You need the motor. You need to get there on your own effort. You need to work. You need to try. You need to, you need to do these things. Like, well, that makes sense. They're from Jerusalem. You know, that made, they're from HQ. This makes sense. So they put the motor in. And Paul comes back to them and says, hey, you guys, you're not sailing anymore. You're involved in something else. That's not life with Jesus. That's not union with Christ. Doing this in your own effort, poof, you've forgotten who you are. And so we've got to talk about it. We've got to untangle what they were struggling with. And so if you have a Bible, Galatians 2.17, Galatians 2.17, how do we trust Jesus. How do, we, how do we experience union with Jesus? All right? Galatians 2.17. And if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Galatians 2.17. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. If being right with God came through what we do, Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So I ask again, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you heard? This is the word of the Lord. God, we need help. God, we need to grow into greater levels of awareness of your spirit that your son is alive in us. God, I pray that we would, we would abide in Jesus through this series. God, I pray that many would, would see just the rich blessings they have because of union with Jesus. It's not about what we do. It's not about trying. It's about trusting. I ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You can have a seat. All right, so what's Paul talking about in verses 17 and 18? What's he talking about when he says things like, uh, if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners? Here's what he's talking about. All right, up north in a church called Antioch, there was a little kerfuffle, all right? So Peter was influenced by these same Judaizers, and he started eating with Gentiles because the gospel demanded that. If we're united to Jesus... And other people are united to Jesus. We're united together. Right? You see that? We're united to Jesus. They're united to Jesus. We have union together. But Peter was saying, oh, man, this isn't kosher. All right? We're not keeping Torah. And so these Judaizers were like, hey, you got to keep the law. And Peter goes, no, I don't hang out with these people. And Paul actually says that's a different gospel. And we're like, what? Why? Why is that a different, how is that a gospel issue? Like, they believe all the right things, like, trust Jesus. Why is eating with someone a gospel issue? And and then he gets into, like, if I rebuild what I destroy, how do I do that? Here's what he's saying. Has anybody seen, again, we're going to stay in the 90s for a little bit, that classic 90s movie, Double Jeopardy? I think it has, like, Ashley Judd and Tommy Lee Jones. Okay, I don't remember how the movie goes. Does it go something like, does Ashley, Ashley Judd has a terrible husband, yep okay and then she tries to kill him right right no wrong Tommy Lee Jones does she kill Tommy Lee Jones no she doesn't kill Tommy Lee Jones don't kill Tommy Lee Jones she kills her husband she goes to she goes to jail right and then she gets out of jail and learns her husband is alive right so she kills him right that's awful Who was writing movies in the 90s? That's terrible, right? But it's called double jeopardy, right? Why? Because you can't get tried for the same crime twice. That's the heart of what Paul is talking about. Let Tommy Lee Jones help you understand the book of Deuteronomy, okay? Here's what he's saying. Jesus, he says earlier in Galatians, he was publicly portrayed as crucified. He says that in 3.1, but he also says, Cursed is one who hangs on a tree. That's Deuteronomy 21. And what that's talking about is, again, different culture. In those cultures, you would take, like if you were to capture a king, you'd boof, kill the king, and then you'd hang him on a tree. And you'd be like, look at us, we killed their king. And it would be on display for everyone to see, right? And God's like, hey, in Israel, we're going to do different things. You can, you can kill their king. You can hang him on a tree, but you got to take him down at night. So, like, you got to let, you can let everybody know. Like, this is, again, this is pre-Twitter. You can let everybody know we won, but you're not going to relish it. You're not going to celebrate it. Here's what Paul's saying. Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. What? Same thing. He was, the, the Pharisees said he's a wicked king. They crucify him, and we all saw that he died. Okay. What happened? He died as a law breaker. So the law condemned him. And the law said, hey, the the Pharisee said, you've broken the law. So the law condemned him. Jesus said, okay, I'll die under the law. And so then we all saw that, right? Like the law condemned Jesus, so he died under the law. We're united to Jesus. Same thing happens to us. Okay? So here's the thing. When you lose your job... When your kids don't listen to you, when you don't hit your third quarter sales goal, God's not mad at you because of double jeopardy. God's not mad at us when life goes off the rails. He's not punishing us. We've already been punished. And if we say, yeah, but let's Okay, so the law, we died. Let's just try. Let's just try to keep the law, right? That could be fun. Paul's saying, if you want to do that, you're saying Christ died for nothing. So our union with Christ matters when it comes to the death of Jesus. In God's eyes, the punishment has been paid. And God is like Tommy Lee Jones. There's no double jeopardy in God's court. All right? He's saying, you are free to go. But it doesn't stop there. Just like we're united with Christ in his death, we're also united with Christ in his resurrection. So he says this, the life I now live, I live by faith. I live by faith. What is faith? Again, it's not believing the right things. It's not saying, I've got my checklist of good things to believe, so bad things happen to me, and I just repeat those good things back to you. What if faith is more than that? What if it's a map? What if it's the active part of union with Jesus? What if it's saying, hey, when this thing happens to me, it feels like God's mad at me. It feels like I don't actually have Jesus living inside me, and he's here to navigate that. Well, what if... Faith is my map for how to navigate these hard things. Faith is my, na- my map for navigating cancer, for navigating failure. My map, the map that I received, tells me this is all just God's judgment and justice. You're a mess, and now it's catching up with you. But what if, what if there was more than that? What if, just like this young woman living in Florida, something is true, and I'm just not fully aware. That's a game changer. That's a game changer. And the life we now live, so we really make decisions. It's not just Christ lives in me. Every thought I have, everything I is just Jesus. So you're a jerk. Jesus living in me, man. I didn't say that. No, no, no. We have to figure out how to navigate doing this. We have to, the life I live, Jesus isn't going to live your life for you. He's not going to go to work for you. But we go to work and we're not alone. We have his spirit. We're walking with another. And so we take God's presence with us out of here on Tuesday morning. It's not like, oh, that was great for Sunday, but... I got a real job. I got to navigate real relational conflicts. I'm not alone in those. Then again, back to Dallas. Dallas Willard called that reciprocal rootedness. Leave it to Dallas Willard to both clarify and confuse at the same time. Reciprocal rootedness. We're so enmeshed with Jesus. We're connected to him. We are rooted together. That We just blend together. And so he's with us. We're with him. And we're receiving his nutrients. We're living off of the power of God. That's union with Christ. Christ uniting his life to ours, giving us access to and communion with God. Union with Jesus. That, for followers of Jesus, is the truest thing about us. Nothing else. No matter what life throws at us, no matter when we're doing well and we feel great, or when we're doing poorly and we feel awful, no matter if we're, we're like uh, an example to people in our church of what an awesome marriage looks like, or if we're trapped in a loveless marriage, we have Jesus with us in those moments. And God's not mad. That's the map. That's the passive part of it. The active part is okay, Jesus, how do we walk? Where do we go? How do we do this? Help me. A great prayer that uh, a a spiritual director uh, gave me, a great prayer for how to navigate these, is just something as simple as this. When life comes at you, it's just this simple prayer. Jesus, I invite you into this moment. So Jesus, oh man, I I feel embarrassed right now. I feel ashamed. Jesus, I invite you into that shame. Hey, Jesus, I, I feel like I'm not being a great parent right now. I invite you into my bad parenting. And faith says he's with you. Remember, as we're going through what is the Bible, what's a name that God loves to call himself? Emmanuel, God with us. He is with us in those moments. Think about Paul. Remember we talked about Paul if you were here for what is the Bible? We said he was like working really hard, going to destroy the church. Think about how now how he describes Jesus in verse 20. What is it? Choice implies meaning. He can call God anything, okay? He can call God the Holy One of Israel. He can call God the one true creator God. He can call God anything. What does he call God here? The one who loved me and gave himself for me. What do you think of God? Is God the one who checks in on me and makes sure I'm not having too much fun? Is God... The one who's righteous and I'll never add up. Or is God the one who loved me and gave himself for me? He doesn't nullify. He doesn't say, hey, yeah, there's a problem here. But he fixes the problem. And there's no double jeopardy in Jesus' courtroom. And this is the wild thing. This is why we got to do overview. Because if we, don't, if we just look at the branches and don't look at the forest of Galatians, we're going to miss things. This is what Paul means. You may be familiar with this verse. This is nuts, right? So he says this. So remember, the church in Galatia, they were Christians gone wild. And they were just like partying it up, living, abusing grace. And Paul doesn't get around to addressing the problem until chapter 5 okay? In journalism, that's called burying the lead. He buries the lead. He says this, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. First, he untangles the disaster that the Judaizers had put them in. And now he gets to like, hey, we don't have to be like, don't fight strangers. Don't sleep with strangers. Like, but you don't need rules to change your heart. You need the spirit. And then he says this crazy thing, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Against such things, there is no law. Christianity is about cultivating union with Jesus. Does Christianity care about holiness? Yes. How do we get there though? Do we get there by just setting up a checklist and following that checklist? No. By living with the Spirit. And when we live by the Spirit, the fruit, remember, we're sticking with our gardening analogy. When you plant, when you, when you cultivate a spiritual life, when you're grafted in, the fruit of that are all those things. Other than that, you don't need anybody telling you what to do. That's crazy. We don't believe that. We're like, just tell me what to do, Jesus. Give me the rules. Give me the list. He's saying live in the Spirit. Well, yeah, 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 but give me like step one, then step two. then step... He's saying live in the Spirit. Against such things, there is no law. Wild people don't need rules. Wild people need the spirit. They need God dwelling with them. They need to be grafted into that tree. And when we as people spend our energy connecting with and growing in our awareness of our connection to that tree, what happens? Love joy and peace those are nourishing words when we're not connected what do we get envy strife all kinds of just dumpster fire life life things we can't change our desires but god dwelling with us changes our desires that's why that prayer jesus i invite you into this and believing he's there you are that Florida girl. Now, this mistaken identity thing, it didn't just happen in Florida. And if there's one other state you thought it would happen in, it happened in that state. It happened in New Jersey, okay? I want you to just kind of, this is the, this is the wild side of it, there's a flip side of it. Just pay attention. These are, this, is, this is a documentary from several years ago called Three Identical Strangers. And it sounds kind of wild at first, but then the story gets super nefarious. So hang on for a second. It's really It started when I went to college. It was the first day of school. All these people are coming up to me saying, Eddie, how are you? Eddie, hi. I'm like, my name's not Eddie. I don't know what you're talking about. As soon as this guy turned around, I knew it was Eddie's double. I said, you're not gonna believe this. You have a twin brother. Oh my God. As I reached out to knock on the door, it opens and there I am. His eyes are my eyes, and my eyes are his eyes, and it's true. And then the story went from being amazing to incredible. It was an article to Twins Reunited. I think I might be the third. People ask me, what is the most remarkable story you ever encountered? I tell them it's the story of the triplets. You guys have been on the front page of every newspaper in the world. True. True. They were more like clones than they were like brothers. It was a miracle. There was nothing that could keep us apart. That's when things kind of got funky. Just for a second, can you imagine, I have always, I grew up with like in the era of like, uh, you know, what's it, parent trap, and like it takes two, and I always like, man, I bet I'm a twin, I bet there's another one of me, I'm maybe they're like super rich, and we're gonna like collide one day at camp, and my life's gonna be changed. That really happened for these folks, okay? Like, who they thought they were, they woke up one day and they weren't those people. But here's what happened. They weren't rooted in any sort of identity system. And when their life changed, it got nuts. So Phil Donahue, that's who that guy was with the glasses, who said, this is the craziest story I've ever done. That was Oprah before Oprah, okay? So Oprah before Oprah said, this was the craziest story i ever done. That propelled these three guys into superstardom, okay? They were everywhere. They were huge. They had a ton of money. They opened restaurants in Manhattan and they were partying and they were living. Living it up, and they the, both the challenges of Insta fame, and then also the story gets nefarious. So it's like, well, how did triplets get separated at birth and nobody kept a record of it? It was done on purpose. So this is like after the days of like World War II, there were like some anti-Semitic scientists, like maybe eugenic stuff, and they separated, they were Jewish, they separated these Jewish people at birth and were studying them uh, for the sake of like nature versus nurture, and they did it in real time, and no one involved knew. And so they go from like having like, woohoo, life is awesome, we're insta-famous, to like, whoa, who am I, and how do I make sense of this? And that confusion and that tragedy ended up and it ended up taking the life of one of the twins. He just couldn't, he couldn't handle it. Rootedness matters. Life is going to kick in your front door. I wish I could tell you that's not the case, but it will. All right? We can't leave brokenness over there. We can't say like, oh, that may happen at that church. That may happen to that family. That may happen to those people, but it doesn't happen to me. It will happen to you. And when it does, who are you? Who in the world are you when life kicks down your front door? Do you deserve it? Is this God saying like, yeah, you do. You're welcome. If we don't know who we are, when life comes at us, we won't know what to do. And like the Galatians, we will spin off course. Christian life is not a promise that when you trust Jesus, everything goes well. The Christian life is a promise that you can navigate, that you have a map, and that map is definitely a book. Please do not misunderstand me. It's a book and it's the resurrected Jesus living inside of us. The same Jesus that the grave could not hold lives in his followers today. Today just like that branch that is grafted to a tree and the energy from that tree nourishes and gives life to that branch, Jesus is nourishing and giving life to his people. And the problem is we don't live into that hardly at all. And that's the big lie. The big lie is that, well, what I say about myself is true. I I believe God's word. I'm orthodox, but man, you don't know me. I'm still hungover on Sunday morning from last night. Wild people don't need rules. Wild people need the presence of God. And it is free and it is available. And if you've been a Christian and you've been stuck for a long time and you're just trying to get the wheels turning again and your, your expectations are low, Paul is saying, hey, we're actually playing a different sport here. We're not just trying to get the motor working. We're not trying to dress up the motor. We're going to open that sail. And we're going to set off with Jesus. And we're going to live in the spirit. And we're really going to have, we're going to trust him as he navigates us on this way. Father, I pray you do that. God, I pray that we would be a people who receive. We'd be people who when we think about you, we think about the one who loved us and gave himself for us. God, your word says that we have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live. Christ lives in us. Help us to grow into the richness of that reality. In Jesus' name.